dissolved the council permanently. Last remnants of the old republic have been swept away. Welcome to a brand new Imperial Senate podcast. I am your host, Charlie Ashby, and joining me as always is my beloved co-host, Nikki. How's it going, mate? Oh, you know. <laughs> Sur- <laughs> surviving, not quite thriving, but still here. I feel like every week we do the same sort of upbeat within like first 30 seconds, where it's like, <laughs> how are you? And then it's just like, not great. And then we just sit for about a minute. <laughs> yep. Then we just sit and no, think about yeah. that and everything that's happened. All our decisions. Yeah, life. Yeah. <laughs> the universe. Uh, sadly, Claire isn't with us this week. Um, she's not feeling well. So send all your love her way. Um, not too much love, though, because, you know, plenty of Save for the rest of us. I mean, yeah, come on. <laughs> what about the men in fandom? Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, but instead, we are lucky enough to be joined by an incredible guest. She's the founder and editor-in-chief of ButWhyDoPodcast.com. It's Kate Sanchez. How you doing? Hi! I'm really annoying, really loud. <laughs> I will make up for anybody who's trying to find the balance between male and female. Because, y'all, we got a lot to say. <laughs> I mean, we absolutely got a lot to say. Especially <laughs> just this entire sort of gap. We've had the lockdown. Like, lockdown in general was like... We've got a lot of time to discuss things. I think that oh, we've, yeah. we've milked that cow. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> like, I'm talking about, like, I read yaoi manga, which is very much very one specific type of audience, but I can break it in. I can break it down to an, at least four different audiences to make different conversations happen, happen amongst my communities. Oh, that's because great. that's what has to happen right now. Because, like, art. And conversation and movies and TV, it is not at a great point right now. So, like, mm-hmm. get involved with people you don't usually you don't usually talk with because that's the best way to expand your fandom. Past Abs- what you think. Absolutely, especially in this like time period, there's no excuses for not sort of reaching out, asking people how they are, and expanding your horizons, learning a little bit more. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I just. But we've, we've, I think we, we did the live shows for a while at the beginning of the lockdown, did all those topics. I think we asked so many questions, we asked for so many questions from the audience, they've run out of questions. They don't even care what we think anymore. Um, <laughs> I think- <laughs> we ran out of fuck, Mary kills. We have. I think, we, I think we've actually How done- does one do that? I'm a manga <laughs> person, so I'm like, there is always a character that you can insert at some point. <laughs> I think we genuinely have gone, oh, we can't do that, fuck, Mary Kill. We've already done it, which is a weird thing to say. <laughs> I'm like, proud of you. I am <laughs> proud of you for hitting that for hitting that standard. We are so, yeah, the, our standard is so low, it's incredible. It's like, would we fuck a droid? Like, which, which one would we fuck? Well, let's do the pros and cons. Electricity. Could be good, could be bad. Um, but yeah, I think... We're just sort of dealing with all the little bit dribbles and stuff. I know people are complaining today about sort of leaks or what can be can be perceived as leaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really think this is a leak, but um, it's the first thing we're going to talk about as well. Uh, it's more of a case of a rumor and the way that uh, sites approach the rumors and stuff. I personally don't disagree with it that much because it's like mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff being made. Lucasfilm isn't exactly the tightest ship. 
is it in terms of leaking information? Mm-hmm. That's like, fair. But no, but no corporation is going to have a hundred percent. Like people sign NDAs all the time, but nobody, not everyone, hundred percent of people stand by them. So I'm not really too like unless it's like, and this is what happens at the end. If it's just like this is what could happen, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, let's talk about this in general. So according to our friends Corey and Noah over at Kessel Run Transmissions, check them out. They're great. Uh, Donald Glover is rumored to return as Lando Calrissian in an upcoming Disney Plus series. What do you guys think? <laughs> I think that's really fun. Um, Me too. I mean, it's it's Donald Glover. I mean, come on. And and you know, and talk of Billy D as well in in some some form, but um. But no, yeah, I think it's I think it's really exciting, whatever it may be. I am exactly the same thing, <laughs> which may be boring, but personally, I feel that Lando has gotten the biggest shift of the entire like franchise. When you look at like people coming into more prominent pieces in the fandom, mm-hmm. and for me. I'm like, I'm good with that. So I understand that there may be a little bit of issue when it comes to bringing in new continuity to old continuity. So like, it will be a lot easier to build an old Lando show based on from Solo to like uh, Rise of Skywalker versus Rise of Skywalker forward because you're looking at a very different piece of history. But that said, I think that there has been enough of the fandom that has loved Lando for so long that it will build a piece that actually has to do with what we want. And so for me, at least, that makes me kind of like throw out a lot of the no, we don't want that. You're just making him be another thing. Um, So I'm excited for it personally Mm -hmm. because Lando is great. Donald Glover as Lando is great. So I will take as much as I can get as I will take as much as I can get of those things possible. Yeah, absolutely. There's something really specific that excites me also about Donald Glover. Um because he's, you know, he's the kind of guy now who's very much this this, you know, happening guy in, you know, entertainment and yeah. like he he comes with power, right? And Yeah. I feel like like Donald Glover is the kind of guy who can be like, oh, you want to do this? Well, here's what I want in my contract. And mm-hmm. bring really interesting people along with him to help make it. Um, I mean, he's already got a crazy great um, relationship with Ludwig Goranson. So don't be surprised if you see him scoring it. <laughs> um, so yeah, there, I mean, there's all sorts of exciting things that can happen when you bring someone like Donald Glover into, you know, a more autonomous role, a more creative, like executive-ish role into into something like that, as opposed to, you know, he was really just actor in solo. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's it's a really cool move if if that's what's happening. I mean, and it's also a move that I think would be really great for other actors too. So like uh Yali uh Aparicio, who was the lead actor in Roma. Uh, about two years ago with um, Alfonso Coron, she would be amazing if actually given the uh, the ability to expand past her palette. So when I use palette, I don't mean it to say she's only restricted to it, restricted to it, 
But when you bring up like the way Max and the way Mexican actors are perceived, a lot of it has to do with how we can like push towards whiteness. And so when she starred in Roma, a lot of it was how much of my ethnic identity can I hide to hit this note for this other role? And so I think when you look at like the larger scope of what, um, of what roles can persist for the 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 universe of Star Wars. I think somebody like not only Donald Glover, but even uh, Yalitza Aparicio can actually like present to that piece because they do fill in these small imbalances between the universes um, and really push towards something different and more than what we've seen. And I think that like kind of showcasing it around Lando's story is one of the easiest ways to show Star Wars going that direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I feel like the two major things for me when it comes to a new Star Wars story is, uh, is this a story that uh, should be told or will surprise me? And the behind the scenes talent. And I feel like in both cases, this is just a great opportunity. I mean, we saw in Solo, that scene where uh, Lando's talking to his hologram, where he's, he's, he's writing his diaries and then he's talking mm-hmm. about all the stories he's been on. That's the perfect opportunity for a serialized show yeah. to go through all these weird adventures. And just from like a behind the scenes perspective, we've seen them do it a lot of the times with like Rogue One, uh, Solo in itself, and obviously other sort of shows, especially in The Mandalorian. They get to reuse sets they already have. Especially got they've yeah. got a bunch of Imperial Stormtrooper outfits. There's a reason why they made like the Mandalorian. It's because oh, it's yeah. a great great period to reuse the costumes that they made for Rogue One and keep those costs and stuff. Um and also just in general, like I think someone mentioned because there was two rumors or like at least an idea swelling around this whole thing, which is that Donald Glover has his own Lando show. But there was also <laughs> yeah. rumors of Billy D. Williams and Naomi Aki having a separate mm-hmm. show which is set after episode nine now yeah. it would be interesting if they did like maybe him and her so the character of lando is going off to find the family for these stormtroopers yeah. whilst telling them stories of his own past that could be interesting mm-hmm. and you could have like a split like one episode's about him doing this and the other one's about young lando but at the same time there's i feel like there's room for both um yeah I mean, I think that's kind of where I fall off of where I want, like, the most part. So, like, I am a huge fantasy nerd. Like, my Twitter handle is literally a fucking reference to Gandalf. Like, (laughs) that shows where I am on this spectrum. (laughs) But at the same time, I think that there is enough to allow, like, we have done a lot to make sure that, like, when we present fantasy stories, we present them for a very white narrative. We present them for we present them towards a very magical narrative, which we only see as white. And I think as we start deconstructing what Star Wars can be in the future, we can see the pieces of Star Wars that go throughout. Um, I guess visionary is probably the best word. Like. Uh, who? So I think of my co-host for But Why Though podcast. He is a huge Lando fan. His entire marriage was Star Wars, but his dad was dressed as Lando. And it's like, okay, well, where does Lando go in that? 
because everything else is not really a piece that we look like. And so for me, I think of, okay, we can be really open and how we see all of these interpretations of what it means to be different races, different ethnicities in Star Wars. And for me, when I see like the the expectations of a different Lando show, I see the um, the extent of possibilities for other races and other ethnographies like in this area to feel represented. And that is something that I see a lot of, but I also understand how it changes on how the popular percent, the popular perceptive of what they look like is probably the best example. Oh yeah, that's perfect. I feel like just with Solo and like, in like, that story itself, why mm. I wasn't like a major, like I didn't think it was like breathtaking in terms of <laughs> it's not going to win the movie of the year, <laughs> but it, but the amount of stories that it could spin off. Yeah. I thought it's such a fascinating sort of like, you know, like I would love to see a Han Solo TV show as well. Oh, hell yeah. But Lando is such the, like, I think everyone who came out of that film, even if you didn't like that film, you'd be like, but Donald Glover was great as Lando. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and like you said, Nikki, I would love to see him write it as well. Because we've seen him, you know, he I don't think he's doing Childish Gambino anymore. I think he's put that to bed, that sort of um, part of his life. Mm-hmm. So, he and he might be focusing a bit more on producing and doing TV. So, if he wanted to do the, the writing for the script, I'd be completely up for that. And I think while we can criticize Lucasfilm rightfully and we'll talk about this a bit more later in terms of representation where we can criticize them for not being as diverse before and like in the future I feel like the fast-paced productions and the ones that are like the latest ones to be worked on are the TV productions the Disney plus side Mm -hmm. of things and they seem to be very diverse in terms of behind the scenes and also in front of like, I mean, you've got a Cassian Andor show that's coming out. Hell uh, yeah, Mandalorian, um, <laughs> which is just you know, the people behind that are just incredible. Um, and I'm just excited to see more diverse storytelling for once. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know how many times we can watch a white dude talk about how much he loves <laughs> Seven Samurai. <laughs> you might not have heard of fair. it. we've heard of it (laughs) and yeah I'm just excited to see a bit more of that sort of style and I know like when people always used to write like books about Lando like the sort of the black exploitation films of the 70s Mm -hmm. if we had that sort of like stylistic viewpoint in the Star Wars where everything's sort of like 70s style I think that's what I liked about um, Solo as well is that they managed to recreate that that a uh, new hope aesthetic mm. and i think as well yeah. rogue one did as well like the sideburns it, it really did those british I mean, sideburns oh oh <laughs> yeah i mean that's what i so i heard a lot of people giving grief to solo with like oh we want it to be a we want it to be a 70s like film we want it to be a black exploitation film i was like well that doesn't mean that it's bad it doesn't mean that it's bad at all. They're just different pieces of filmmaking that come into practice 
for those things. And for me, I feel like Solo did a very good job of balancing the two and really pushing towards something more, which is, I think, is why I expect so much from this, like, middle... I don't want to call it a middle era of Star Wars, but it kind of really is between the sequel trilogy and the regular trilogy. Like it is very much like a trilogy era, its own trilogy era of the Star Wars in general, where like it is having to take into account the different actions and different pieces of the media. But for me, like the fact that it was like, I, it's one of the reasons why I love the Rise of Skywalker ultimately is because there's a lot of it that builds up on what the middle trilogy was versus as a whole. And so I think that's one of the things we need to take into consideration as we look at everything. Absolutely. What about you, Nikki? You've got any sort of last thoughts about what you want to see from the solo spinoff with like, uh, obviously, because we talked about last week. Mm hmm. It was ironic that we talked last week about potential solo spinoffs and then we get Lando this week. Um, <laughs> but yeah, is there anything specific you want to see? I know personally I'd love to see him and Han again, obviously, at some point. Right. Yeah, I mean, like like we sort of talked about last um, last week, I think it, it would be really cool to see you know, the characters we, we learned about in Solo to play into it in some way. Um, but I think yeah, like for this Lando series, it's like like we talked about just now, you know this you ha- you have just this character who, you know at this certainly at this point of his life, um, post sort of post solo or maybe even pre solo, um, he's you know he's traveling all over the place and he's meeting all sorts of you know different cultures and whatnot and smooth talking all of them and. It's like there's so much you can see, and like that, you know. That's what that's what's so exciting, and you know, just talking about the sort of like broad representation as well. Like you can literally add so much into the galaxy with it, and and then like the other general thing is, you know, we hear Lando show, and maybe some people are like, I don't, I can't relate, but maybe some people are like, oh, I'm not into Lando. I'm like, okay, that's fine, whatever. Um, but again like what is this what is the story behind the title like like mando we you you read the mandalorian like you couldn't predict what the actual thing was like and like what the actual core of it was um so it's like so again you know you see the lando show but like what's actually behind that i'm just i'm ready to see what that is because i think if if it's like mando then uh we'll be in for some good surprises and I think as well, what I'm interested in is it's the the idea of what a character is versus who they actually are. Like yeah. I think what Solo did so well is that it told it reiterated to the audience who Han Solo is, not who you think he is. Yeah. When you watch A New Hope, you just think he's just the guy who doesn't care, who yeah. then turns good at the end when that's not the case. <laughs> he's always been that guy. He just he's got so much pain and baggage onto that. Like he's always there. He's always been the good guy. He wants to help. He just, you know, and I feel it's the same with Lando. Like in Empire, if you were descri- if you ask someone to describe Lando, they'd go, "He betrayed his friends." Well, actually, that's <laughs> not the case. Shout, <laughs> out, <laughs> shout out to Billy D at Celebration. <laughs> he's like, nobody died. <laughs> I did nothing wrong. <laughs> Absolutely, and I want to see how Lando goes from the guy who 
he escape like he leave he ditches Han and Solo. But I want to see how he becomes the guy who not betrays Han, but puts the thoughts of, of like thousands of other people in yeah. front of his own. Yeah. Because that's more interesting to me than him being like and then he meets Lobot. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> don't need to see that. Well, that I mean, cool. and that's that's really the reality too. It's like when you look at Star Wars and continuity as we're giving it, like Rogue One represents a very stark dissonance in what we're supposed to be exhibiting so far as uh, so far as the resistance, and it's very different. It's very violent. But at the same point, as we move that trajectory forward in the rest of how we see the Star Wars canon, it is also very necessary and we can understand what is happening behind it. But we have to understand what is happening in the context of the things that came before. And I think one of the problems that we see with something like Rogue One or even sort of anybody who's who is looking at it from a, a first person perspective is looking at it as a removal of the current issues that are going on. Mm. Um, and that is an issue when you see overall fandom, um, but less so when you look at like the the entirety of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like that's an interesting way of looking at these projects in in general. Like when I viewed Rogue One, it was an interesting, like you said, an interesting delve into the rebellion itself and how these, like, not everything's just good or bad. Yeah. There is compromise. There are arguments. There are people that have to work together that might not necessarily, necessarily agree with everything. But for yeah. the greater good, have to work together. I mean, like, Saw Gerrera is a fascinating character. Because oh, yeah. A the Mothma who... Gerrera oh, so good. thing is one of, like, the best additions of the, like, It new really era. is. And it's, yeah, it's, and it's like, but this is based on real life. This is based on yeah. stuff we see, like, like, you know, Che Guevara and stuff like that. Like, we mm-hmm. worship these individuals, but, you know, if you look in, not, not everyone's perfect, and nobody's oh, yeah. asked them to be. Yeah, like, and I think when dark we, stuff. oh yeah, I mean, and I think when we look at like what revolutionaries look like, and what we expect them to be, re- uh, specifically what we expect them to be out of context. So Che Guevara, Che Guevara, when you look at him in response to actual Cuban folks, so actual Cuban people living in Cuba at the time, is very different from how Latinx folks see him in the United States. And that is just because of how we see that difference of representation and the difference of how we are assumed by other people. And I think like right now, as we start exploring these different types of lenses that we see us through, when you look at Che specifically, you're looking at at Che Guevara in a lens that sees a lot of opposition and you're looking at Che Guevara in the lens that sees a lot of historical pushback when it comes to Latinx, Mestizex. So like Mestizo, if you're not familiar with is Mestizo is a term that specifically encompasses um, Latinos who are native to the land, but have an element of Spanish, uh, 
Spanish, I don't know how to explain it, like Spanish exposition to them. Yeah. So like, um, it, it's a very different element of who we exist as. And so I think as you start investigating the U.S. history, the U.S. history of these terms, you see a very different understanding of what is a freedom fighter, what is somebody who is fighting for the state, and what is somebody who is fighting for the individual person. And that's something that is extremely important and extremely different when you look at how Latinx communities see things. Yeah, I think that's that's such a great explanation, and thank you for that. And just the way we see it all throughout Star Wars, and like we said, we watch it with mm-hmm. Rogue One. You see it of these characters. You see it of Saw Guerrero, who you know fought one particular side, then he fought another. But it's the way yeah. people view those like tactics, and you know they're not great, per- like all the time. They're not perfect, but some people aren't perfect, and it's interesting how we. I mean, this is a topic that we're having just in general. On, life as it is with all the yeah. statues and oh yeah i mean we could talk about winston churchill for hours and you know like, <laughs> is a person good or bad like if the it's not like a weighing competition there's no i mean and that's what's interesting about and intriguing about star wars is because those conversations are part of the dna mm-hmm. but on the outset it's also a fairy tale where the good guy wears what uses a yeah. blue lightsaber and the bad guy wears all black and wears a red <laughs> lightsaber. <Not> subtle. Yes. One hundred percent. Um yeah, so I'm just yeah, I'm intrigued to see what they do with this uh, upcoming show. Um yeah. Uh speaking next, we got some game stuff that sort of dropped up, uh, Star Wars Squadrons, which was announced a few weeks ago. Um and I've written on my notes pew pew because I'm a child. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I mean, I play a lot of games, but also pew pew. Absolutely. I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't trust anyone who doesn't play an X-Wing game and doesn't go pew pew because. <laughs> um, yeah, some journalists and fans like Star Wars Explained, our friends on YouTube, uh, got their hands on the upcoming fight, uh, flight sim game and showed off what it can do. Uh, mainly, it was just sort of, you know describing how the game itself plays you obviously got like the classics sort of x-wing tie fighter uh, levels of you've got your shielding you've got your fire you've got your, um, the speed and it's like using that maintaining control of which ones you want to use um, in terms of it just looks fun <laughs> yeah there's flying in it there's tie fires it's cool mm-hmm. but the thing uh, i mean nikki discussed this a little bit before the show is that um because we're we're geeks and the thing that made us we watched a bloody game about flying in space and the first thing that popped into our heads was you can look at when you customized your um ship there's these like certain things you can buy but there's also like descriptions and like historical facts about them which we just love um and if you haven't watched it yet i know claire we're going to talk about this next week for claire because she loves um salacious crumb there is a quacky monkey lizard hologram which i feel like we made happen you're welcome everyone um but also there's this like interesting little data pads like there's a hologram of a helmet and then when you read the sign it says sabine wren created this from rebels there was what was the uh the freemaker adventures uh, nikki reference yeah they did um they referenced blue squadron and it's like led by general merrick and lieutenant valeria <laughs> it was like, <laughs> <"What?"> <laughs> bring yvette like, nicole brown into 
squadrons, please. Into everything. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> canon. Even though it's Lego, it's canon. Mm-hmm. You can't argue with it. Um, Lieutenant Valeria is real. Absolutely. There's just so many cool... I just love those cool little nods. It's not even, you know... It doesn't mean anything. It's just like... It's just it that, something that to extra me. attention to detail, right? It, it's yeah, what we absolutely. always like to see, where it's like just that little... Yeah. These, You know, it's it's meaningless, but it but it's not, you know, it's, it's, it shows that extra bit of effort just to make everything sort of fit a little, you know, nice, mm-hmm. more nicely. And it's, it's so appreciated from, you know, from our perspective, because if we were in that position, we'd be doing the same thing. Yeah. And, and it's like, so that, that's why it's always cool. Yeah. And I don't drive, but I know the like the way people love their own cars and the way that you, you have to like <laughs> it's part of you, you have to customize it. Mm-hmm. So when I saw one of the one of the people on the X Wing had a little key ring of a Millennium Falcon <laughs> just swinging about, I was like, That's, That's so amazing. Cool. Yeah. It's so cool. And I was like, Oh, I want that on my one. Someone had a hologram of Darth Vader in their title. <laughs> of course you would. You know, he's just hanging out with you. Um yeah, what do we think about uh, Squadrons so far? I mean, personally, I think so far there hasn't been there hasn't been anything that makes me hesitant or worried. I think a lot of the personalization and customization comes from wanting to make sure that they're commute they're communicating with the larger Star Wars base, which is a lot different than what the current productions of films are Mm -hmm. um and i think that that is ultimately where we find ourselves when we look at like what the landscape looks like now um personally i just want to go pew pew (laughs) that that is where i personally fall is pew pew star wars squadrons yes pew pew so (laughs) yeah i mean I'm always down for taking down fascists in space. Exactly. <laughs> great. It's a great and noble pastime. What um, about you, Nikki? No, yeah. I mean, you know, past episodes, uh, anyone who's listened knows I've been really excited for a game like this. Um, and just in general, I like games that are like accessible, but have an element where if you want to, like push yourself to get to like a mastering ability, you know, there's, there's like an actual challenge portion to it. Um, and that's what this seems to be like with the simulator. Cause it's not, you know, it's not just starfighter assault. Um, like there's, there's like stuff you have to actually manage, um, in, in flying these things. And, you know, it's not to say like you have to be grinding for, you know, 10 hours a day to play the game, but, if you if you wanted to, you could, and you could get really good at it. So like that's that's what excites me like <laughs> in general about it. Um, and then yeah, the customization is is so much fun, and I think I've always I always really like games where it feels like you're putting yourself into the world. Um, like I I totally love games where you play as like a set character with a set arc and narrative and whatnot. But um, I think it it's just as important for me as a gamer to to be able to step out of that and also like just feel like part of the universe which mm-hmm. is i think a, a really exciting thing about this where it's like you can customize your ship customize your helmet your outfit what you look like um even your voice i think your name i think you can do your name um 
I know you can like randomly generate ones, so they better yeah. have a name option. Um, like because... Boris Tyrell, yeah. <laughs> all those Battlefront generic names. So yeah, I, I'm really excited for it in you know those sort of regards. So I can't wait to see what else because um, I think a lot of the footage we saw from you know these these uh, YouTubers and stuff, um, they said that not you know obviously not every cosmetic was um, unlocked for this sort of like beta. Uh, so that's that's exciting to see you know or to think about all the different things um, that aren't even in this that will eventually be in the game in october yeah i know for me personally i'm just excited to see and i know it's still nearer the original trilogy than the sequel trilogy but i'm just excited to see more uh, in between post episode six stuff mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. more yeah. new, new republic versus imperial regiment because i know people are like oh why is the empire still around that's boring but i'm like i just i like the idea of them like still yeah going off for about a year or so just taking them down um yeah uh, yeah i just yeah this is probably my favorite like like, era as of now like in this like the moment that like my fandom is in um because like i'm reading the alphabet stuff um alphabet squadron books and um you know watching or you know eagerly anticipating this game and then (gasps) you know just thinking about all that cool stuff between like Endor and Jakku. Um, I'm really, I, I, that's why, yeah, it, it's really cool to be getting stuff in this time frame. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, you got like the Mandalorian there as well. Yeah. 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 Even that Poe book, I think technically counts. Oh, right? hell yeah. Yes. Uh, Which I will have a review up at some point ooh. in the next two weeks. If yeah, we I'm terrible with books, so I'm really behind. I still haven't read Thrawn. I have not read, like, any of the Star Wars books, but it's Poe, so here I am. I mean, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm excited about that one. Um, (laughs) I need to to look at which books I haven't read yet. Um, There's a bunch. I, I mean, I really, to be honest... It's one of those things where like I love Star Wars, but a lot of me has become burnt out on how much you're expected to know about Star Wars. Yeah. And that's one of the most frustrating things of being in this fandom in opposed to like other really big fandoms like Dragon Ball Super or Dragon Ball in general. Like, I am a part of fairly large fandoms in manga that don't even have that same weight or expectation of, like, just Dragon Ball anime type thing. Yeah. Um, Which then makes me really, like, make sure that I'm trying to stay up to date. But I haven't been up to to date in the Dragon Ball Super manga for a while, but I do think overall... There's this larger push to understanding the mechanical piece, so the piece that pushes people towards where they have to exhibit this strength or something else. There has been a larger push towards that, even if it's across different manga uh, or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like with Star Wars, that the push to know everything... Is yeah. kind of opposite of Star Wars' soul. <laughs> like, yeah. 
the first film literally drops you off in a random point and goes a long time ago. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, good. also, like, yeah. you know, this wide berth of canon that we have is, you know, it's like it's like a buffet, right? And you wouldn't, mm-hmm. like, go to a buffet with someone and be like, oh, so you didn't have the Mongolian barbecue, you fucking fake food fuck fan? Yeah. <laughs> like, how dare no, you not understand that, the, the intricacies of the almond That is the perfect butter. example! <laughs> that, is, that, that is the perfect example! Because, like, honestly... Like, I'm going to be honest, when I went to college and I was in my undergraduate degree, I ordered chicken strips plus a sort of chicken strip, which meant it could be peppered or chilied or whatever, and just, like, a vegetable with that chicken strip. And then, like, the other piece that I would order would be chicken strips with, like, chili, like, specifically chili-oiled chicken strips plus that type of side. Mm-hmm. And they are very different sides because chili oil, when you use it effectively, is a very different type of spice. But it looks very similar to other things that you're talking about. Like, it looks very similar to different types of spices and stuff like that. So, like, I understand that 100% because I'm like, oh, yeah. Yo, let's talk about Star Wars. This is going to be great. It's like, oh, no, you're in a different type of involvement in Star Wars that I have that you're very obsessive about. It's okay. That's mm-hmm. fine. But, like, we got two different viewpoints here. Right. And, like, the overall point is, like, you don't have to eat everything. Right? Yes. Like, it's... Exactly. You know, just stick with what the foods you like. And, and even if you, know, you don't like that food, it doesn't mean that that food is bad. It just means yeah. that you don't like that food. Exactly. And that you can yeah. let the yep. other person enjoy said food. Yep. Oh, I'm hungry. Um, and, <laughs> and I think, um, I think that's why I like the books the most that are kind of purposefully not canon specific so like what i mean by that is there's the book the legends of luke skywalker which literally is in in universe tell where they're saying look these stories these are stories that we've heard we don't know they're they're completely real they could be slightly real and stuff has changed or even more so the the myths and fables story where they're literally telling you fairy tales set in the Star Wars universe. Because in general, yeah. the Star Wars stories themselves could actually be myths and fables. We don't know that they're yeah. completely true. There's someone telling a story. So the idea that canon is important, and that's why when people harassing people who are like, Star Wars Legends is what is real, it's like, it can still be real for you. It could be your version of what happens. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Just because it's not on a film. It wasn't on a film in the 80s. It doesn't matter. Just enjoy it. That, that's what I like about, from a certain point of view, because I think someone like specifically asked Pablo if they were all canon or not. And he's like, eh, maybe some are, maybe some aren't. <laughs> and it's like, I just love the idea of, you know, reading 40 stories and maybe deciding which ones for yourself you implement into the way you sort of like think about it and which ones you just sort of like, oh yeah, that was fun, but I don't really like need to try to incorporate that into the way I understand the movies kind of thing. Definitely. Yeah. It's the same with like the prequels or the sequels. You're like, well, that's not my Star Wars. Just be like, okay, yeah. ignore it. <laughs> you, you don't have to go online and go, no. you, you got to dunk on it yeah. Yeah, online that- <laughs> forever. You know? <laughs> that, that's my biggest issue with everything. It's like, 
I guess it's because, like, I when we look at like the the trajectory of Star Wars and the sequel trilogy, I loved the Force Weekends. I hated the Rise of Skywalker, and I loved the Rise of Skywalker. Or I hated the the Last Jedi. I loved the Rise of Skywalker more apt. Um, and you have these different moments where it's like as a public we're expected to love and or hate different parts of these already established canon pieces and so for me like since since the last Jedi came out I've personally felt like oh I can't talk about anything that I haven't liked in Star Wars since then like period <laughs> yeah i feel like that was the that was the sort of i don't know if it because the tensions were already there for years and i feel yeah. like just it's a societal thing as well just in general but it's just ready to pop off <laughs> absolutely yeah. i think yeah. is, a, is a specific thing though because it doesn't happen in other fandoms well it does but not to not to this extent not to so this like extent. i i will say as somebody so like i'm a journalist in comics gaming television more broadly and tv like the type of dichotomy that gets driven in star wars is not driven anywhere else Mm. like very clearly and that's something that has really sucked when it comes like oh i like this thing a lot but it can do better because it feels like with Star Wars, there's con- there is a constant look for what can do better and what is like, oh, you just hate this. And they just attribute that to whatever, regardless of your context. And I think what The Last Jedi did, which was interesting, is that it forced people to choose a side, which is yeah. never a good sign. Oh, because no. There was, there was the obvious people who were harassing and just generally nasty people. And pieces of shit. <laughs> um, yeah. Who didn't like the film. But that didn't mean that everyone who didn't like the film was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have no. people who did like the film who are also mm-hmm. pieces of shit or also good people. And yeah. Because, like, as, yeah. it's like it's one of those things where it especially frustrates me because a lot of the, oh, we love the film because it's a great thing they reject a lot of the other reasons. So it's like, oh, we love the film because we want a Western appreciation of uh, female identity. So, which is good. But it's also like, when you look at the larger narrative, you have to look at how people of color are treated in that narrative. And for me, both Poe and Finn were treated, were treated atrociously. And so I hate, I personally hate The Last Jedi, (laughs) like, in so many different ways. But I can't say that when it comes to actually vocalizing the reasons because the assumed reason for not liking this thing is, oh, they didn't like this one thing, but they loved that they were brown or, like, those types of things. And it gets really hard to kind of, like, maneuver in that area because of those expectations that are set on you by other people. It is a it is a weird thing to like cuz yeah. I mean, it's interesting cuz obviously what we have different points of view and sometimes people have different points of view cuz the way they are like I'm a white dude, so I'm mm-hmm. definitely going to have different points of view than people of color and you know, people who've been through a different background than I have. Um I know like I 
I liked The Last Jedi, but I can also see, especially on the rewatch recently, um, that Finn's arc could have been better, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's also this thing, I think, that happens as well around the line. I think it happened. It happens in general, so which is that film Twitter's always been a bit opinionated, obviously, because they're film. Yeah. Um, and we talked about this the other day in the private chat, and there's the idea that I think because of the choosing sides and stuff, like if you on the right, if you like the last Jedi, therefore you are right or something, which is yeah. you know, not true. Um, it's your opinion, obviously. And the way we view entertainment journalists as a higher form of, I don't know, opinion. And I think we talked about this privately um, on the group chat with me and Nikki and Auden, who does a great show as well. Um, and I was saying that I personally don't agree with that statement. Like, I don't think that because you're a film reviewer, your opinion is worth more than yeah, the average person. I agree with person. that too. Yeah. We just happen to be in position <laughs> like i've got a degree <laughs> in journalism but it doesn't mean that my opinion shapes your opinion or anyone else's opinion it's there like my i, I wrote a review for uh, the website for episode nine and i gave it a pretty good review i think i think i gave it seven out of ten but i'm not saying if you don't like episode nine you have to agree with me or i am yeah. right um it's just a weird thing and I, we've seen it a lot as well like with episodes eight, a lot of people did attack certain groups of fans who like people like Raylos and stuff like that, which, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter that you like that. Of course, it's perfect. Yeah. I like whatever you like. But then there was a weird flip when episode nine came out, and I feel like some of the dual sides flipped a little bit, where it's like, no, this film was good, but this film was like, no, it's bad. Yeah. And we saw it again the other day, where I think what journalists were saying, oh, yeah. Episode eight is on. This reminds me how bad episode nine was. It's like you don't have That's, to say that. Yeah, That's you don't have to. Thing. It's like yeah. as, as somebody who like the Last Jedi is like one of my absolute favorites, and I cannot stand when people use it like as a weapon to beat mm-hmm. another movie. It's like you don't. It's just it's meaning like it's so like such a shitty way to go about yeah. process, processing anything. Like, just going through fandom, it's it's just so dumb. Yeah. I mean, and, like, to double down on that, like, for my piece, is, like, I have been in fandom for the past three years, like, both, like, critiquing Star Wars and critiquing things outside of Star Wars. But, like, I have only been called, I have only been called a white supremacist one time as a legitimate brown woman. <laughs> um, and that was because I said I didn't like The Last Jedi. And I was told that because I didn't like The Last Jedi, I needed to understand that white supremacists would use my opinion for themselves. And it's actually a really fucked thing in that you accept. And you push people who don't look like you, who are in who are in marginalized communities to represent a essentially voting block that you do not. And while it is very different when it comes to actual voting principles, so far as like uh 
healthcare, race, those kinds of things. When you do detach it and you say, oh, yeah, does he really? Does he really is just a better female protagonist than like whatever woman you would put in front of her? That's a very different thing. And so for me, when I look at when I look at Star Wars, I see Star Wars as a very insulated bubble. I see Star Wars as a bubble that is mainly uh, understood by and pushed by white women when it comes to what we're supposed to like, what we're supposed to dislike, and what we're supposed to push for. And it's one of the reasons that I've really pushed myself from being involved in it. Because for me, when I looked at the when I looked at not the last Jedi, but um, Rise of Skywalker, Poe's progression existed in a piece that I didn't see happening from either one of those pieces that we were given before the film. I think that's a good sort of segue into this last thing we're going to talk about, which again, like we're going to continue the conversation, but just in general, representation in Star Wars and how the the franchise can do better in general. Um, yeah. And I've, I've literally written down uh, one of the biggest examples of a big cast member to be, you know, non-white and leading has to be Oscar Isaac as Poe Dameron. Yeah. But he and the character haven't exactly escaped derision and attacks online, mm-hmm. especially last uh, year. Um, I'm interested to see what your thoughts are about Poe's storyline in episode eight and nine. Yeah. So when you look at Poe in episode eight, one of the things that you had a lot happening was a lot of white women white women critiquing him as oh this is a white uh heterosexual hyper masculine male and I'm like dude he's brown his name is oscar isaac estrada hernandez <laughs> and like you can't excuse that like he's very much a brown man who is trying to live a white life which is different when you look at the context of how we have to position ourselves to get goals but when you look at it in star wars like oh yeah this dude is oscar isaac hernandez estrada and he is fine he is a main cast member and then when you push it towards other things is like one of the main things that i noticed in episode seven was people saying oh this is sexist and i'm like okay so you're you and, and a lot of those people use machismo in their definition. Okay, okay. So you're using machismo in your definition of ex, of of sexism, and you're not actually engaging with the actor that you're calling out on machismo. So what is the conversation that is going on? I'm pretty sure it's one sided. Um, and then when you extend that to other pieces and you see Oscar Isaac as Poe Dameron, he exists as a leader versus as somebody who is trying to push towards a more suppressive and dangerous method of of living. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I feel like one of the things that's interesting about this character is that uh, at least personally, I don't know, I don't, Nikki, I can't remember exactly your view on the situation, but like, I don't think Poe Dameron was wrong in episode eight at all. Mm-mm. I mean, that's what's, that's what's good about it. Like, I don't think either of them are wrong. No, <laughs> like, exactly. That's why, that's why it's a good drama. Funny how that works. <laughs> um, so yeah, no. Yeah, go ahead with your point, though. No, exactly. Like, yeah, both are right. And that's what's interesting about it. It's, 
And Poe learns a lesson, but not in terms of like a he needs to learn this lesson. It's more of a a leadership, like he's becoming an even better leader. And I feel like people like, no, he he's a traitor because he went against them. He is the man who is evil yeah. because he. And it's like not really though. <laughs> like yeah, I mean, and that's the other thing too is like when I see people like critiquing episode eight when you look at like Star. When you look at like his like the overall Star Wars critique of it, it's like, okay, you didn't like that he like hit towards the bases that you saw. But if you changed it a little bit and saw him as Star Wars towards the general population, you wouldn't necessarily think the same thing. And I think that like what Star Wars represents for me personally is this very like personal need towards moving center and more left but the fear of doing so and so when you have people like oscar isaac who very unashamedly say i'm going to be this thing you end up with people who will push back equally as hard but not really be seen as the same problem as an oscar isaac or something else and obviously, uh, for episode nine, there was a big sort of. I've seen a lot, a lot of people sort of fighting back with a critique that I never really understood because of obviously like the background of this universe. Because I think people forget that obviously this is a universe of itself. This isn't necessarily Earth. <laughs> this is a yeah. a galaxy that exists. And like we said earlier, it's like yes, there are extensive reasons for doing different things. Like it's a galaxy crippled by tyranny. And that is the fact that they introduced the idea that uh, before he was a uh, resistance fighter, Poe uh, was a smuggler, uh. which we have seen with Han Solo. <laughs> but also <laughs> there's a really great um, ad lib. I think Oscar came up with it himself, which is when, they go, you're a smuggler, and he's like, oh, you're a stormtrooper. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that for me, it's like, okay, well, that's it. That's good point. That's it. That's <laughs> the example. Because personally, and this is something that I I take a very large. I mean, I have gotten into so many Twitter fights about it. If you say Oscar, why Oscar Isaac is a drug dealer? We say, okay. If you put Han Solo in that role, if you put Lando Calrissian in that role, if you put any other sort of you put Ezra in that role really mm-hmm. do you see them as a drug dealer and if you don't that really points out the issues that you have because at the end of the day he's not a drug dealer he's a smuggler just like literally everybody before him and for me when you bring up that piece you were showcasing not only your ignorance towards towards the uh, understanding of what that means in star wars but you're also showcasing how you think that this specific ethnicity can't contribute to the larger narrative of what that piece is because for me i'm like yeah okay poe is a spice runner whatever literally you would call han solo a fucking smuggler (laughs) that's it end of story but the fact that you are trying to push towards oh it's racist to call him a drug dealer is like yo bud 
you're the one calling him a drug dealer because you're not calling him a smuggler. That's the problem. And for me, at least in my experience, especially on Star Wars Twitter, is seeing a lot of white people saying, oh, well, they made Poe a drug dealer. And I'm like, no, babe, you made Poe a drug dealer. That's on you. And that is something that is very different than what happens when you look at the larger discussions. Do you think that's sort of like it's like a shallow wokeness backfiring on itself kind of oh, thing? Oh hell yeah. Yeah. Oh hell yeah. It's somebody saying, I don't want brown people to be seen as bad. But like maybe Mexicans have some issues. <laughs> that's how I see that. Yeah. One hundred percent. Because when you actually break down the demographic and the present the presentation of the uh, the archetype specifically, you can look at the archetype as it exists within a, a consolidated place. So if so, say I'm talking about Doom Patrol, right? Yeah. So I'm talking about how Latinx are represented in Doom Patrol. I can talk about how Latinos with mental health issues are often ignored but hyper-exaggerated in representations of comic books. And I can pull up Doom Patrol in showcasing the fact that, like, the street that has no gender but yet is taking care of all the Doom Patrol members is, like, a lad the next person, kind of, when you put it into perspective – and then the other piece is that, like, Crazy Jane is an actual Latina actor who is acting at these roles. And those are very specific elements. But when you try to reduce it to this is a brown person, this is, a, this is what a brown person should do, you lose a lot of the nuances of, okay, this is what a brown person, quote unquote, should do. But does is this something that actually represents this ethnicity identity in canon. And I think when we look at somebody like Oscar Isaac as Poe Dameron, or more specifically, Cassian A- uh, Diego Luna as Cassian Andor, you have a larger experience of Latinos as characters who don't get uh, duplicity and as characters who have to see themselves investigating this reality of negative and positive way more than the than the positive explanation um and that's something that gets missed and i think yeah as well i think that's a great example of obviously like representation in terms of um your cultural heritage and stuff and the way that we see these actors and the way we see different cultures in star wars but also as well i feel like there's a sort of a disservice to in terms of just like working class yeah and how Like, we, we know that Poe Dameron's parents were in the military in Star Wars. And we know that there was mm-hmm. quote-unquote quote, peacetime. Uh, what we say, peacetime, when they were making like, a secret fascist organization again yeah. in the background. We don't see that in real life. Uh, cough, cough. And I think people forget that, obviously, Star Wars is this galaxy where in the prequels, like, slavery was still happening. And yeah. the Jedi just chose to ignore it. Spoiler alert, yeah. everyone. That happens in real life, and it still is. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think that's why, like George Lucas is like he's trying to say, like, by the way, this stuff about the Senate and people like organize, like 
sort of like businesses trying to get into into like politics. That's happening. Still is. And I think what the sequel trilogy does a good job of, even if they don't outright say it, is that, yes, we saved the galaxy in episode six, but evil didn't go away. And the galaxy didn't get better just because there was a new political group. In fact, still working class people had to result to doing smuggling. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's not just like a, well, then they're bad. But we see it in real life. We see like people working, and usually, again, people of color who are neglected by the government. They're not well-funded. And we see people pushed into that direction. Not everyone, but... And it's not just people of colour. Yeah. It's people... like That's why I'm saying like Han Solo, who again is Mm -hmm. another working-class character. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a very good explanation because, like... I mean, I think our site, uh, you know, butwhythepodcast.com has done a very good job of covering what it looks like to be different, different elements of the spar- of, the, of the Star Wars universe. But I do think that there is a large, a large part of it where it's like, this is a very different understanding of what it means to survive. Mm-hmm. And for me, as, you know, editor-in-chief, it's like, I'm brown, I'm a woman, when I send edits back, they need to be encompassing of what I think our readership will see. And sometimes that means, hey, you're going to have to change half of your article because half of that article neglects the people that read us. And that's something that like not a lot of people understand. And it, it, it's, it is really hard to push back on what that expected narrative is. But at the same time, as you move through it, you build a thicker skin and a, and, a, and a thicker understanding of what it means to be not necessarily like in this humane way, but what what do you see as being a human? What do you see as human interaction? And I don't give it a pass at all, given that a lot of like the five Ks that we've run have been with like white dudes who like just enforce that. But, like, there is a difference, and there is a clear difference. And for me, my job as an editor-in-chief is making sure that when we look at those differences, we are taking into consideration the way that those identities and views will be held when the larger piece is read and positioning them, you know, as in the larger pieces compared to the larger title. And how do you feel like Star Wars treats the cast members? Because we, like we said, we talked about Poe Dameron. And I don't think yeah. Oscar Isaac got as much abuse for that decision of the character, like in terms of um, Poe becoming uh, this. Unless, did he? I, yeah. Uh, did he? Oh, so I'm wrong. I mean, Good point. It's hard. So, like, it's really hard. Because I see, I have seen Oscar Isaac get. M- I've seen people get mad at Oscar Isaac for choosing that path or whatever for his character. But at the end of the day, like Star Wars is really white, which means that when it comes to Oscar and Boyega, whatever way they choose, which can be reduced to brown or black, they will take. That's the end of the story right there. Nothing more, nothing less. 
Can this person reduce to their black identity? Can this person be reduced to their ethnic identity? And that's a problem. But I think the way we look at the larger landscape of things is that because Oscar Isaac is significantly significantly removed from his Latin identity when it comes to physical appearances. So like Oscar, Oscar Hernandez Estrada Hernandez is a very different name to say than Oscar Isaac. Mm-hmm. And so in those explanations, he shows himself as different. And he doesn't he doesn't necessarily have to be presumed to be othered. Whereas somebody like John Boyega, until they bring up his race, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm John Boyega. That's it. Bring in everything else that you want, if that makes sense. Like, even with the complexity of being a person who is focused towards a Latinx audience, you are still different because Latinx, like Latinos are extremely anti-Black. And that's something we need to overcome personally to empower these larger communities, especially in Star Wars and elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting in terms of like John Boyega as well, because from my point of view, um, obviously he's a a black man, Mm -hmm. but also from my point of view, it's always, oh yeah, he's British. And, um, and obviously he's got Nigeria, he's from Nigeria originally. So, it's but from my point of view, it's like, oh yeah, of course it's John Boyega. Like there's no sort of but there is an importance of obviously his skin color, and especially in the US where he gets abuse from not only um obviously racist uh, white people from around the world or people of color, like you said, people of color as well, different uh, cultures and stuff, but also mm-hmm. black people in America um oh, yeah. give a, a, a hell of a lot of amount of racism towards him for taking uh, quote unquote in American roles. Yep. Um and I mean, when you think about it too, it's like people got mad at John Boyega for taking this role. And it was like Americans just somehow dropped the fact that because he was British, he was also black and let people push at him because they were American and white and not black. And that's like another, like, I mean, I know you kind of mentioned it. But there's like this like deeper insidious piece where it's like, oh, I want a interview with John Boyega, but I want a interview with John Boyega as seen through a Latinx ends, which means I'm only going to interview John Boyega through like Rise of Skywalker, his inter his interactions with Poe Dameron, those types of things versus. I'm trying to interview John Boyega as an actor, as he exists in this field and how I see it impacting that field. Yeah. And I think people forget that he's an actor sometimes. Like I saw saw this week, people really took it out of proportion where they took a snippet of his Instagram where he said that he's not like he's moved on from Star Wars and that became John Boyega hates Star Wars. Yeah. Or John Boyega doesn't like the trilogy he did. And he's like, no, I've finished those films. Because when you finish a film, you, you don't have to keep waiting on the set. Yeah. And I'm going to do more stuff. And I don't think you really yeah. see that as much with other actors, unless they have a specific 
like clickbait. Yeah. I feel like Harrison Ford might get that because he's notoriously like grumpy about it. But apart from that, it's always John Baker has some insidious reason mm-hmm. for doing something. And I feel like yeah, we you're need in- to- yeah, you're entirely you're entirely accurate. And didn't didn't Vulture just do a whole article on his one comment about <laughs> quote unquote <laughs> article? Done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's ludicrous, and yeah. I just feel like ugh. Nikki. I'm interested, like, with your perspective, and obviously you're a person who's brown as well. How do you feel about Star Wars in general, and like the representation sides of things? Um, I think it was something. Yeah, that like it was something I didn't think about honestly um, until it sort of clicked, and I'm like a weird. I'm like a weird uh, case because I'm half Indian, half white, and my <laughs> my ethnic blend <laughs> makes me hmm. look like <laughs> Oscar Isaac, like kind of. <laughs> so like I'm like this weird uh, like honorary like Latino kind of person. <laughs> it's weird. So like, but it's what, not the way weird. That- I have known enough folks like that. Like yeah. it's not weird at all. Y'all got the spices like us, so you hit where we are. We like, go. I'm not going to lie. Like, I've had enough friends that hit those boxes. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, but, like, like I was saying, like, it didn't really register for me until I looked like someone. And I was like, oh, that's what it's about. And <laughs> and so, like, and then just feeling that, and it's, like, the same thing with Cassian, too. Like, I feel, like, this connection to Poe and Cassian that... It, like it's it's you know it's just it's just there because they like you know I, like I feel like oh like I can cosplay as them kind of thing um, and you know just these like these intangible feelings and I think the more you can like increase that feeling that's that makes a stronger fandom right so like that's yeah. that's like the most basic like the the base need for representation right like. Yeah. Um, people people feel more connected when they when they see themselves and and like yeah you know it's it's not to say because I like of course the the common pushback is oh well you just want to like erase the white people then <laughs> um, and it's like of course not like I I got told to like fuck off and die because I was mad I was like. Does the does the fallen order kid need to be like a sad redhead white kid? <laughs> and like, and I got told, you know, yeah, because yeah, like of course, and you know, I I got nothing against Cal. Like I I very much enjoy what he is now. But hey, Mister um, Indian Man, why can't we have white people? <laughs> oh yeah, that's the thing. We just it. had we just had Iden Versio. Like that was uh, it. Like, we need to return to the norm, please. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like yeah. We've had the it's, ten minutes of vagina here, guys. I think it's time for the right, penis to return. Right. And let me just say, it has to be a white one, otherwise I can't watch Star Wars again. And and like <laughs> and like in general, it's like most things, most conversations that matter, they need to be had with with empathy and you know. A, a genuine desire to understand um and you know it's not it's not always just this case of i want this one thing and eliminate everything else right like 
Mm-hmm. It, it, they just, they're too, and it's the, it's the problem with Twitter. It's the problem with everything like that. Yeah. These things are too important, too nuanced, too layered to, to hash out online. So then whenever you see things online, it only just devolves into what seems like very basic points of view. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, no, I mean, I guess like, right. Yeah. Representation in general, I think just, you know, my own experience of, of seeing, seeing someone who looked like me and then like another person who's, you know, big for the, like the Indian community is someone, you know, like Janina Gavankar or Tia Sarkar, you know, seeing, seeing people, um, you know, of that ethnicity brought into, you know, Star Wars behind the scenes. And it's just cool to see those kind of, you know, like I, I think about like my cousins who are, um, you know, like full Indian and they, you know, they, they could watch Star Wars and never see themselves. And it's like a totally different thing. And I think that it's cool, even when you can pull on, you know, actors who look like you, even if you're in their voice acting or something. um, I think that's, that's an important thing. And it's like, yeah, I think Star Wars is, Star Wars is always known for, you know, trailblazing technologically, certainly. And I think this is another topic that they should really um, embrace as being, you know, leaders in. And, you know, we, we saw the support for John Boyega during his, um, you know, Black Lives Matter rally. And it's like, okay, that's awesome that you support him. Now, you know, now let's move those chains forward, right? Like, yeah. it's, time to, it's time to start making, you know, moves down the field. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's like I'm, I'm always in support of whatever step they take that is a forward step. But that's still, <laughs> it's still, um, you know, it still doesn't mean that it can't be more. Yeah. I mean, and that's really how I feel, too, because when I look at, like, how Star Wars has progressed, specifically in, like, brown representation, and I say brown as in, like, you know, Indian, Latino, like, indigenous, like, these folks who don't necessarily get included in this narrative, when you look at a character like Cassian Andor, for me, the most I have ever felt seen in Star Wars was seeing Cassian Andor telling Jin, I chose not to shoot him, but you need to understand that we are living under a peace where that flag hi- that that flag hangs above us and you choose not to look up and that is something that i think is one of the most powerful moments in star wars because it's like you can choose like the ability to choose between actively helping somebody and actively letting somebody die is literally you can look up and you can notice the people that are hanging over you and you can push against them. Or you can look at the people who are leading you, choose with them, and not worry about any sort of the ramifications. And for me, when I look at Cassian Andor as a character, especially when he pushes back against, you know, Jen Urso, it she says, like, you were gonna kill my father. He's like, Yeah. Because that's literally what I was trained to do. But have you actually dealt with what it means to kill somebody in the 
description and prescription of this is our mission. And so for me, when I look at how Star Wars is done, I think Star Wars Rogue One is one of the best examples of what we can be, what it's like to be a brown or black person in the U.S. specifically, and how we can use our voices to push towards a more vital matter. And when I think about the U.S. more broadly and our the way we kind of hold back against those narratives, it's so much focused on, oh, well, I feel comfortable that this person called me out. I don't feel comfortable that this person brought up you know, Los Angeles in this conversation. I don't feel comfortable that this person is bringing up a broader topic. And I think that what we have to do, especially as Star Wars fans, is to understand that the way that our mythos exists for everybody, it exists to interrogate these problems. It exists to push back against people and it exists to make a better world. And we have to do our part in pushing a better world with it. 100%. And I love that you picked Rogue One for that example, because that's my favorite of the new films. Same. Rogue One is like, Rogue (laughs) One is my highest point in anything that has ever happened. So (laughs) I just, Rogue One is just so good. It's everything what I, I... when I went in, I was like, okay, it's going to be like a New Hope. So I'm excited for that because I love a New Hope. But, and I love like the design specifically, like seeing just the Stormtroopers again on the screen was awesome and like Vader, but that's like the basic stuff. But those characters and just the connections to the prequels actually, which I found even more fascinating. And that line where Cassian says, I've been in this fight since I was seven years yeah. old. Mm-hmm. To me, that's such a great story that hasn't been told yet and I hope it's going to get told in the Cassian series which is the idea and I think George did a good job at delving into that in both the Clone Wars animated series and also just in general and bits of the DNA of the prequels like if you watch episode 3 the first thing that comes up is like there's there's evil on both sides and it's the idea that the separatists were this group that they weren't the bad guys necessarily. They were a group of disenfranchised people who didn't trust the government, who yeah. they were out of balance. But ultimately, they were controlled by greedy individuals, uh, corporations mm-hmm. and banks. And the people on the lower side of things, like um, like Cassian, according to the books, was a separatist, which I think yeah. is fascinating. And I want to see more yeah. of that, the way, like, like to him... The Republic soldiers in the Clone Wars, who we see as heroes and rally on and go, they're the good guys. Yeah, symbols I mean, of oppression. Yeah, and that—that's honestly the most. That is the most explanatory pieces for what I want to see in an, in a Cassian story, and even a Mandalorian story. Like a lot of the way that the Mandalorian proceeds is somebody who very much has to deal with that oppression from that that from that state piece and learning how to deal with it. It's not the same as like what Cassian would deal with, but I think like my mind just keeps going back to, to launch their entire live action platform. Disney banked on Diego and Pedro. And that is a very important thing. Um, And when you look at like Pedro Pascal and what he can do as a Mandalorian, there's so much mythos that you can unpack on 
why did this person choose this thing? How did he end up at this choice? Why is he so protective of the child and so forth? And again, like Din's character is a, is someone who was on the other side of the wall. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily Republic planet, but definitely a separatist invasion. Um, and those two characters, even they've been through different sides, but they're still affected by the overall sort of struggle of the galaxy. And in terms of like yeah. Star Wars, we know that Palpatine was behind all of it, but just in general, like the layer of those characters that. Are like obviously, like the Republic is interesting as well because you've got the separatists who don't want the Republic to take over them. They see them as a threat. But then we've got the the people that were attacked by separatists who um, were quote unquote freed by the Republic and then mm-hmm. putting the flag down and they entered the Empire. And it's like, yeah, we own yeah. you now, which is a great, obviously, a symbol for imperialism. Um, yep. And as a British person, I think, <laughs> uh, whoops, um, <laughs> is you know like. It's a great way of being like, look, this actually happened and it still is happening. It's the idea that, no, we saved you people and now you have to do what we want because we're the right way to do things. It's like, yeah. And it's interesting to see those characters deal with those different ideas. Like, we see the impact it has on people. Like, I like the way that the Mandalorian had trauma from that upbringing yeah. the fact that he's scared of droids all droids because of the you know the war he went through you don't really get to see that otherwise or like he said yeah. Cass- cassian hates stormtroopers and i'm sure that when the storm the clones became stormtroopers to him there's no difference between them um yeah. although like we've seen episode three that horrifying moment where we watch a whole bunch of wookies fight with the republic's uh, clone troopers and then there's like a really menacing scene where they just walk all over their bodies and you have like the imperial march playing it's just one of those things that that's the kind of things i want to see a bit more of because it's it's not in your face but it kind of is if that makes yeah. sense no 100 like that scene in Jeddah where it's that 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 small city with a massive star destroyer over it yeah that's just a lot without saying anything no it makes you realize the uh the helplessness of the situation Especially, I think there's the one thing that I love about Rogue One that always hit me when I rewatch it is there is a scene where the part the partisans start attacking the Empire, and there's this little girl that starts screaming, crying in the middle of the um in the battle. That always really hits me because you don't really get to see that in Star Wars. There's not much of a a human effect. It kind of reminds you like, oh god, this stuff actually doesn't still happens and. I think that's yeah. what we should focus on. Um, well, we've been going for quite a while, but I want to ask you one more question before we move forward. Yeah. A final question. Uh, well, we couldn't not ask you about our beloved green bundle of joy that you, <laughs> in fact, named first. Yodito. <laughs> uh, are you excited for Mando Season 2? And uh, what uh, are- Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you didn't get to finish that. I'm Yo. just 100% excited all the time. I, <laughs> I, so for anybody who's listening out there, when it comes to the Latinx Twitter, it's not necessarily a unified group. We don't agree on a lot of things. We don't agree on a lot of television shows. And then Yodito happened. <laughs> and then we all agreed on it. And so, like, Yodito stands as, like, you know, Baby Yoda stands as this piece of 
identification for so many of us. Like there have been edits with conchas, which is our pan dulce, like our sweet bread that we eat. Um, cafecitos, like these little like coffee cups with them. And there are these little things that like tie us to him that, oh my God, I am so excited to see him come into Mando too, just because I have bought all of the official merchandise and I need more explanation of who he is and where he's going to fit into. Because I don't care if he's like in El Mandalorian season five. I care if he's just like, you know, Yodito season two like I like there is just so much that I think that like we all got woken up to in a culture that we kind of like hid from a little bit because of the explanations um, that I'm so excited for and I'm really excited to see expand as we push outside of just kind of looking at like what John Favreau has said moving outside of Kurosawa and more into these more Western pieces. And these Western pieces are really informed by a lot of like Mexican cinema. So I'm excited on what we can do. I'm excited on who we're going to get to see. I will adopt every Yodito child that there is. <laughs> um, so please send them my way. I don't care. I will like them. I will retweet them. I will probably pre-order them. So please send them to me. Yeah, I was excited when the Rodriguez episode got confirmed. Um, yes, Machete. I am hoping for Machete in a Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> That's what Robert I was about episode. to say. Because it I would be want. amazing. <laughs> I just, I it's want that so bad. <laughs> it will be the most Mexican thing to ever happen to Star Wars outside of any podcast I've been on. Like, I need to see him hold Baby Yoda specifically. Like, oh hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be so cool. Um, yeah, the, the final question I was going to ask was actually something that you sort of talked about. Um, what other Baby Yoda merch do you want to see made? Oh, I don't know what to answer because I own t-shirts, pajamas. I have a couple of pictures and I have pins. So I don't know what else. Um, I guess just like really... Actually, I think officially licensing stuff that gears toward a Latinx audience because I don't say I don't want to say that we're the only people that are pushing Baby Yoda. We're not. But if you like promote some cafecitos with like a little bit of like bandulce with him, like we will if that is official merch, like we will make you a lot of money because that's what we want. Like that is that is literally what Yorito means to us. And so I think really expanding into the markets that are uh publishing Baby Yoda fan art and Yodito fan art fan art more specifically will really help kind of like build this fan community about what it means to like and support Baby Yoda, aka Yodito, and how we can push it as a culture versus just us pushing it as an individual people. Well, I think we know that Disney likes money. So oh, hell imagine. yeah. Give me all of them. I'll buy them all. I'm honest. They're definitely um, putting it down on like the uh, when they get like items and stuff and they trademark those names because I'm pretty sure the other day I saw for the, the new animated show, The Bad Batch, they had, they had listed all the specific items that they could trademark it for. And one of them was, oh, wow. anti- one of them was antidepressants. 
which is the most <laughs> depressing thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, oh my yeah, gosh. I'm going to get some Baby Yoda uh, <laughs> surgery. But also not wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'll still take it, yeah. I'll still buy it. <laughs> okay, Mickey Mouse, you win. Um, but yeah, that's all we've got time for this week. Um, it's so nice to have you on, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Uh, so uh, where can we find you online? Uh, what do you want to plug? Yeah, so you can find me personally at Oh My Myth Randy or on Twitter. If you get the joke, you get a gold star. That's about it. I don't how to, I don't know how to give anything else. <laughs> um, but you can find our podcast and our website, which includes cultural commentary from a variety of guests, which includes Charlie. Um hey. at dot com. You can head there, look through video games, comics, anime, manga, anything really. Um, and that's pretty much all I have to plug I guess follow me and listen to what we do because it's really cool awesome uh, yeah thank you for coming on again um, we'll have to have you on again in the future and talk about more yeah, for sure. cool Star Wars stuff uh, also just to let everyone know that we have updated our website uh, so if you want to pitch any ideas to us just feel free to email me which is at charlie at imperialsenetpodcast.com and of course, our website is imperialsnetpodcast.com. I'm going to post more stuff on there. Any specific Star Wars stuff, anything you like, have an idea for, just pitch it to us and we'll see and we'll try and make that happen. So yeah, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you again and may the Force be with you. Always. Hey out there in listener land, thank you for listening. If you want to hear or see more from the Senators, please go to the website imperialsenatepodcast.com, where you will find links to the Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for the show, as well as our Discord server, Twitch, and YouTube channels. You can also email in to imperialsenatepodcast at gmail.com, and please consider leaving a review on your podcatcher of choice. Thank you again, and may the Force be with you.